to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director at APPA. Our guest on this episode is Elliot Mainzer, President and CEO of the California Independent System Operator. Elliot was a guest on Public Power Now in early 2021. Elliot, thanks for joining us again on the podcast. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be with you again. Right. So, Elliot, I um, thought I'd start our conversation looking at what's happened so far this summer in California. And uh, obviously, as you know, on August 17th, uh, you guys um, issued a flex alert. Um, So maybe, I guess, a two-parter, if you could start by talking about uh, the events that transpired yesterday. And then uh, second part of the the second question would be, what's transpired overall this summer in terms of CAISO's response to uh, power demand? Certainly. Well, the last couple of days have been the hottest temperatures that we've had in California, and it's been reasonably warm in in a number of places across the West as well. And uh, for the first time this summer, we decided to declare a flex alert and to call for voluntary conservation from consumers. Uh, At the end of the day, the the system actually ended up performing very well. We had uh, solid resource performance inside the state. Uh, We had good interconnections with our adjacent uh, control areas and generally were able to work through about a 45,600 megawatt day on Tuesday and and, uh, high 40s yesterday. Uh, Nice thing we saw last night was uh, a good solid amount of demand response uh, from consumers in California, which probably provided about six or 700 megawatts of load relief right into that net peak after sunset, and we're able to work through uh, these last couple challenging days without any major problems. So that was encouraging. I think more broadly, the summer's been actually going pretty well. We've we know that in in the West, um, we get into we get into issues when we have widespread heating patterns that spread across the entire service territory of you know, the Pacific Northwest and the desert Southwest and California and the Intermountain West. That's what we saw a couple of years ago. So far this year, we have had some significant heating events in certain parts, but we haven't had high correlation uh, between heating in the different areas. We've had quite a bit of diversity in the weather events, and that's allowed us to, to, to maintain, I think, broad reliability across the, the, the interconnection. So it's been going pretty well. Uh, generally, we've also been very encouraged with the level of communication and coordination across the footprint of our reliability coordinator. And I think generally everybody's been leaning in and, and making sure that their assets and their forecasts and their resource performance are as strong as possible. So, so far, so good, but we have some summer left and uh, always vigilant, always paying attention and trying to make sure that we keep everybody informed of any additional potential challenges. Thanks. So, yeah. And just one, one uh, follow-up question occurred to me. Um, you know, as you know, wildfires have been an issue, not only in California, but in the West. Any any issues so far that have cropped up related to that? Yeah, great question. You know, last summer, as you recall, uh, back on July 9th, we had a significant fire in Southern Oregon that took uh, three of the four major transmission lines feeding into California out of service. Uh, that was very disruptive uh, on that evening. This year, so far, we have had some fires, but no major disruptions to the bulk electrical system. Uh, and in general, you know, I think the other thing I, I would add, since 2020, uh, California has added almost 8,000 megawatts of new generation to the system. So we've added a significant amount of additional capacity. And we've added over 2,000 megawatts uh, just in the last year of, of lithium-ion four-hour batteries. We now have over 3,500 megawatts of, of four-hour storage batteries on our system. Uh, I think it's the largest concentration of battery storage of like, anywhere in the world. And these these uh, battery storage resources have been performing extremely well. And you can imagine as we go into the, the net peak, you know, into sunset and after hours as, as the solar fleet 
uh, ramps down. Those resources have been performing exceptionally well. So storage has been a big part of the story. Uh, additional generation and our state agencies, you know, the California Public Utilities Commission, the California Energy Commission, and the utilities have been doing everything they can to bring additional capacity online. And it's it's been a big difference maker for us this year. Great. Um, so just wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about um, the Western energy and balance market, which Kaiso operates uh, and continues to grow. Um, in doing research for this interview, one of the things that jumped out at me when I wanted to ask you about was the fact that Kaiso has been working with its partners to develop an extended day ahead market. So could you describe the benefits that this market will provide and what's the timeline for this market to become operational? Yes, yeah, certainly. You know, as, as you mentioned, you know, the, the Western energy imbalance market, which started back in 2014 and, and now includes about 80 percent of the load in the West, has just been a, a really strong success story. And of course, with my background as the former Bonneville administrator, we were very, very pleased to see BPA uh, go live in the EIM back on, on, on May 2nd. They had a really, really strong cutover and just did a great job getting prepared. And, and while they continue to explore all their options for, for the future, it's been fabulous having them in the market and just widening, further widening out that footprint. And by being able to leverage uh, resource diversity and transmission connectivity across a very wide footprint in the Western United States, the EIM has produced now close to $2.4 billion of cumulative benefits since it was established back in 2014. And I think over the last year or two, <clears throat> we've had a strong interest uh, from our EIM entities and, and many other stakeholders in the West to see that real-time energy imbalance market extended into the day-ahead timeframe where, where we believe there's much more significant uh, economic and reliability benefits by having a deeper dispatch and deeper optimization of resources across that footprint, making even greater use of transmission interconnectivity, leveraging diversity across the day-ahead time step, not just the real-time time step. And at the end of the day, really, um, providing visibility across a broader footprint as to the sufficiency of supply and providing greater confidence in our ability to, to provide reliable service across a bigger footprint. So at the end of the day, we think there's going to be a significant amount of additional economic value, which is going to help reduce customer bills, which is such an important issue right now. You know, the, Our customers across the West are, are certainly struggling with rising costs, with inflation. Uh, policy is driving the increased cost of resource development, transmission development. So if we can bend the cost curve through a wide area day-ahead market dispatch, I think that's going to be a significant advance. And of course, another key element of evolving the market is continuing to evolve the governance of the market. The, the energy imbalance market itself has seen significant changes in its governance over the years. Uh, just late last year, our, our Board of Governors in California and the EIM governing body approved a new joint authority decision-making framework for the energy imbalance market. And we're now looking at moving the day-ahead rules into a joint authority construct as well to bring additional governance enhancements for the extended day-ahead market. And California is also now beginning to think about even broader governance reform of the California ISO if we're going to continue integrating our markets over the years ahead and providing even greater benefits for consumers. So I'm quite excited just on Tuesday evening here on the 16th of August, we released our revised straw proposal for the extended day ahead market. It's a very detailed proposal. It reflects 
hundreds and hundreds of hours of stakeholder uh, feedback from folks ranging from the utilities and the independent power producers, environmental advocates, the regulatory community, large electricity users. And uh, we feel really great about the status of that proposal. We're looking forward to having a, a virtual public meeting on that on, on the 29th of, of August. And then in early September, we'll have a couple days of, of, of in-person stakeholder meetings. Final comments on that proposal are due on September 20th. And then we'll look forward to wrapping up the design phase and moving sort of tariff language and hopefully putting something out there that really provides a, a significant value proposition for a critical mass of utilities across the Western United States. And we'll get put our heads together and get busy working towards implementation here over the next couple of years. So I'm very excited about that, deeply appreciative, and certainly the public power community across the Western United States, both here in, in California, uh, up in the Pacific Northwest, across the West, has been a very, very key voice uh, in, in contributing to our design. Uh, there's a lot of interest in resource adequacy and day-ahead markets here in the West. And uh, we're just going to continue doing our very best to provide a design that we think reflects the interests of the broad group of stakeholders and creates real value. So big moment here in the next few months to really hopefully get some real movement forward on, on the on the market and, and getting it implemented. Uh, thanks, Elliot. So you mentioned uh, transmission development and in earlier comments, you talked about battery storage. So that's actually a Nice segue to my next two questions for you. First, I want to talk to you about um, Kaiso's Board of Governors approving 10-year transmission plan earlier this year. Can you talk about how this plan will boost grid resiliency um, during the state's electrification push and ongoing transition to carbon-free resources? Absolutely. When you when you when you step back and you look at the amount of resources that are going to need to be developed to meet California's what are known as our SB 100 decarbonization objectives, basically having a a carbon-free power system by 2045 or, or earlier, it implicates a, a, a huge increase in the magnitude and pace of, of resource development in California. So our 10-year transmission plan was about $2.9 billion worth of investments, of, I think 25, 26 new projects that will help make some critical reinforcements to the grid in California. But more broadly now, we've actually been taking an even longer-term look at the transmission architecture in California. Actually, just earlier this year, we released our very first 20-year transmission outlook, which is designed to, to step back and really think about the broad architecture of the California grid and what the big choices and big key paths we're likely to have to develop to be able to meet those long-term policy objectives. That was a, a big initiative for, for the CAISO. We worked very closely with the California Energy Commission and the California Public Utilities Commission and, and utilities and stakeholders from across the West to develop that transmission outlook. And it really is going to become sort of the central guiding principle for our long-term vision of what the transmission grid needs to look like. And it's going to help us do two other things. It's going to become a forcing function for greater coordination uh, inside the state between uh, integrated resource planning and, and power procurement. And it's also going to, I think, help us with some of the interconnection queuing challenges that we've faced here in California and are something that I think other regions are struggling with as well. I think by, by developing a long-term vision for, for where your transmission system needs to go and making some decisions about which are the key resource development areas, we can have the transmission planning drive the interconnection queuing process rather than have the interconnection queuing process drive the transmission planning process. And it's going to take a little bit of time 
uh, for that to, be, to come to full fruition. But I think we're making real progress. And I'm just excited here to start working from this master plan and really helping it serve as a, a key coordination mechanism uh, within California and also enabling us to engage effectively with, with other developers and utilities of transmission outside of California. Because I think there's a recognition that California is going to develop a significant fraction of its resources in state, but we're also going to have offshore wind. And we're also going to be buying some of our power from out of state into the desert Southwest and the intermountain West, potentially even uh, from Idaho, Wyoming, those areas. And so we wanted to make sure that we're prepared to engage constructively with other uh, planning regions and other utilities and developers who are also looking to sell power uh, into California. So generally excited about where we're going on transmission planning and uh, hoping for more progress in the months and years ahead. Great. So um, you recently said that California's entered a golden age of energy storage. So I wanted to ask you if you could talk about how the grid operators responding to the dramatic growth of utility-scale storage in the state, and also what steps is, is Kaiso taking to successfully integrate long-duration energy storage into its system? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, when I, when I started the Kaiso back in October of 2020, I think we had about 250 megawatts of, of storage on the grid. And as I mentioned today, we have about 3,600 megawatts on, online. It's been a just an incredible growth curve. And the vast majority of the storage on the system is four-hour lithium-ion battery storage resources. And we've worked very closely with the storage industry to bring them online, to, to make some adjustments to our market design, and to make sure that the price signals and market design are really aligning with the reliability needs of the grid. And so far, the, the resource performance of the battery storage fleet has really been outstanding. I can tell you that uh, down in our control center now, we have a new panel up on our control board. It's, it's a big battery. It displays the, uh, the the current state of charge of the battery resources. It shows their, their discharge and charging behavior across the course of the day. And on summer evenings, like we've had here the last couple of days, when we go into that 6 p.m. hour, I can tell you that our control center operators have been very pleased to have a new, very dispatchable, clean resource to provide power into the system uh, as we go into the sunset. It's been working very well. As we look forward over the next few years, especially if you think about the Inflation Reduction Act, it's now been passed, the amount of incentives, the drive, there's going to be a tremendous amount of additional storage coming onto our grid. And we're thinking now about, about different chemistries, different durations, and how we're going to need to make additional enhancements to our market design to make sure that we're sending the right price signals, the right bid cost recovery for the next generation of storage resources. So as they come online, that we can integrate them effectively with transmission capacity and a market that, that incentivizes them to provide the liability services that are going to be so critical to the grid. So it's been a great partnership. I've really enjoyed uh, being part of the, of the energy storage revolution here in California and sharing experiences with other system operators around the world. And, and for California, energy storage is going to be a key part of our future. So it's been exciting to be part of it. And so um, just switching gears here a little bit, I want to talk to you about renewable energy in the state. Um, as you know, in April, Kaiso set a new record when 97.6% of electricity on the grid came from renewables. So uh, against that backdrop, what steps has Kaiso taken to ensure seamless integration of these growing amounts of renewable energy supplies in the state? And, you know, these, these, these instantaneous moments of extremely high renewable penetration are, are very illuminating. The 
they sort of give you a glimpse into uh, a future when we've got you know, a significant fraction, if not all of our power coming from, from clean energy resources. But of course, we also know we've got quite a ways to go uh, before that's happening all the time, right? We still have a, a significant amount of natural gas in the system in California and the amount of new resource that needs to come online, uh, and while at the same time, re, you know, we retiring other resources is it's a significant challenge. So first and foremost here at the ISO, I would say our, our focus is really making sure that we have sufficient transmission and interconnection capacity available to bring these resources onto the grid. That's just going to be very foundational. Continuing to try to make reforms to our interconnection queuing process, take some of the friction out of that process, and really lining up procurement with the areas on the grid where there is existing capacity. So that, that's absolutely foundational. Making sure that our market design is, is really efficient and sends the right signals for these resources is a Another key component, making sure in general that we're working effectively with the California Energy Commission and the California Public Utilities Commission to ensure that the rules around resource adequacy and integrated resource planning, everything from the definition of loss of load expectations to planning reserve margins and accounting rules are, are clear and transparent and understandable and also harmonized with the resource adequacy programs in other parts of the West. Uh, that's the foundational issue. And then, of course, you know, I think we really believe that the continued expansion of our market footprint and working collaboratively with adjacent states uh, to take advantage of regional diversity, uh, to take advantage of transmission interconnectivity. We believe that that's going to be a key part of accomplishing all of this as cost-effectively as possible for consumers and continue to build on the foundation of the wide-area Western energy imbalance market and working with utilities across the West, we think will ultimately help California and those other states meet their long-term energy policy goals. So lots to get done, but it's an exciting moment, great challenges. And we're just, uh, again, deeply appreciative of our partnerships and just can't resist, um, you know, of course, mentioning, you know, it's it's been great. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was back up in, in Portland meeting with many of the members of the uh, public power community up there. We'll be staying in touch with the Public Power Council and BPA and the other publics and just trying to keep building these relationships, uh, making sure the governance reforms are happening, and hopefully continuing what I think have been very strong and effective partnerships uh, for many years. Um, one follow-up question, if I could, on, on this topic. Um, we reported in our newsletter recently about the California Energy Commission um, settings, adopting a report establishing offshore wind goals um, for the state. And I know, obviously, this is still kind of in the early stages, but um, any comments you could provide in terms of the early planning that you guys are doing related to offshore wind? Yes, California policymakers, uh, particularly at the Energy Commission, are, are convinced that, that offshore wind is going to be a significant resource for California. Uh, the chair of the California Energy Commission, in particular, David Hochschild, has done a lot of diplomacy around the world, looking at the example from other countries and is, is working hard with the PC, with the utilities, and with ourselves to build consensus around what it's going to take to really tap into that resource. For, for us, obviously, the issues around transmission are, are probably paramount. And looking at the, some of the different potential supply regions for offshore wind, looking at the North Coast, looking at the Central Coast, thinking through existing um, interconnection capacity and substation capacity, and then trying to figure out what's going to be the most cost-effective and efficient way to get all of that offshore wind delivered into the load centers of California. 
So we've been looking at some some potential pathways that would move in from from the coast interior right straight into the heart of the I five corridor through through Central California. We've been looking at some potential undersea cable that could link the central coast down to Southern California. And even in our our current, our our next version of our shorter term transmission plan, we'll be taking a closer look at what some of these potential options look like. So we certainly expect um, this continued focus on offshore wind to be a strong element for California. And our goal is to be, again, trying to be proactive and, and constructively engaged on the transmission side and ultimately making sure that we can reliably integrate these resources in for load service. So it's an exciting time on that dimension as well. Definitely. So Elliot, um, thanks again for taking the time out of your day to speak with us. It's been a very illuminating conversation. And I know 2023 is a little bit ways off, but consider yourself having an open invitation to uh, come back a third time uh, next year. Well, thanks, Paul. Yeah, I'd love to love to come back. I always enjoy these conversations. Um, any opportunity to kind of stay connected with all my colleagues in public power is, is, is a wonderful opportunity. And, and thank you for uh, the podcast and look forward to our next conversation. Sure thing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now, which comes to you from APPA and is produced by APPA Digital Content Director David Blaylock. I'm Paul Schimpoli, and we'll be back next week with more from the world of public power. <laughs>